You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Father, we thank you this morning for your love for us, for your provision. You, you've left no true need unmet. You have given us everything we need. We have your Son, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Word of God, we have one another. And Lord, that is enough. The, the Scripture gives us comfort, information, wisdom, guidance, and a way to love you, to live for you. And so as we look into your Word this morning, we ask that you would strengthen those things, strengthen the knees that are feeble, and uh, help us to lift our hands in, in uh, praise and in prayer and in adoration to you. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week is just—I've just been delighted with God. This week, I just—and so even the old conservative in me gets a little bit squishy, you know. But that's okay. We're going to read First Corinthians chapter twelve, from chap from verse one. How far do I think we'll get today? We might make it to verse two. Yeah, we'll read, we'll, we're going to read again through chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 11. <clears throat> now, concerning spiritual gifts, or concerning spirituals, it says, Brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another the gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. So last time we were together, we were talking about the list of gifts and what they are, and I think I can fix that. For one is given the word of wisdom, and we just actually read that. And then in Romans chapter 12, uh, another list, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches, uh, let me find it. In his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. First Peter four ten and eleven is each one has received a special gift, employ it in service, in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And there's there's the purpose of the gifts right there, to serve one another, not to to earn, not to to get accolades, not to be famous, but to serve. The most important aspect of the gifts is that they were designed 
to make us better servants. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, and we, I mentioned that the three gifts lists are not exactly the same, and so it seems that the Lord never really intended for us to have a precise list that we can check off on some sort of test. The gifts can be overlapping in the believer's life. He or she may have one or more, but the way the Holy Spirit distributes them and the gifts that a person has will be mutually beneficial and mutually effective. They will, they will be strengthening of one another. Someone may be very strong in one gift with only minor tendencies in others. The point is, we use those gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. It becomes apparent as we use them what they are. Uh, someone may be excellent in service, but less so in teaching. Another may have the ability to exhort, lead, and teach. The point is, God intended for us to use these gifts that were given to us for the blessing of the body of Christ and for the world at large. So, further meaning for, from these verse, this verse can be derived from the fact that Paul, phrase, Paul phrases this in such a way to remind everyone, again and again, that it is the Spirit of God who distributes these gifts. We don't get them for ourselves. We don't seek them. We don't find them. We don't do something. God distributes them as He will. The Spirit of God distributes them as He will. He would not give one of us a better gift than another. Everything from the Father's hand is a good gift. It is good, it is wondrous, and it is useful. The Corinthians had apparently been under misunderstanding this, and some of them were arrogantly assuming that their gift was better than the gifts that others had, or that they were wishing for a different gift than what they had. Paul will deal with this later. And so as we go into the next, or what I would consider the next section, starting with verse 5, let's remember a couple of historical aspects. <laughs> the Corinthian church was uniquely positioned in, in, much of a, in, in kind of a negative way to be able to really misuse these gifts because they, that was the center of the pagan aspect of the gifts that were ecstatic gifts, speaking in tongues, and all kinds of strange things like that. Those were Greek pagan myth mythological um, behaviors. And so it's not uncommon for us to bring into the body of Christ some of our baggage from before salvation. And so the Corinthians would have brought into, as they were saved, they would have brought into the Corinthian church the baggage they had with the Greek mystery religions and the ecstatic utterances and the tongues and all of those strange things that that existed in that part of the world in those days. It was a center of that. So we need to keep that in mind as we're, as we're reading through this and seeing how Paul in these next two, three chapters deals with this. So we, we finished up with verse 4, and I want to go to verse 5. Uh, doesn't that seem logical? 5 is after 4. Very good, very good. We'll just continue with common core here. There are, there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Remember verse 4 said... Now, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says that Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So Paul is introducing the fact that there's some anomalies going on there already. There are people who think that they are saying in a scriptural manner that Jesus is accursed. And remember we talked about the fact that that could have been the, the Greek tendency to denigrate the body and elevate the spirit. And so they were, they were bad-mouthing, if you will, the body, the human Christ, while probably elevating the spiritual Christ. Now, the scripture says, there are varieties of gifts and varieties of, the, but the same spirit. 
Verse 5, there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. So there are also a multiplicity of ways. Not only are there many gifts, but there's many ways to use those gifts. Um, and I, I, I hesitate to use analogies, but, but to some degree you can. Different tools can be used in different ways. Sometimes they, you shouldn't use them in the way they are used. You should use a chisel to chisel and not your screwdriver. But, but the point is you can... <laughs> You can use different tools in a multitude of ways. Same thing with gifts. God has designed them so that they can be used and they can have different effects. They can be used in different ministries. So there's a multiplicity of ways to serve using the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. The word ministries is a translation of the word from which we get the word deacon. And remember the word deacon has its ancient roots in a word that means someone who is trundling about stirring up dust by virtue of their activity. And it came to mean the concept of serving, giving and serving and taking care of others. <laughs> the gifts were not given to us as an occasion of lording it over others, being famous or having a following or having our names in lights. In fact, if that is what someone is using their gift for, they are, they're using it wrongly or it may even not be their gift. The gifts were given strictly for the purpose of serving others, of imparting help and love and concern and care to others. If humility does not accompany the way a gift is used, then it is being used improperly. Uh, there are, they are to ministries, both they are to minister both to believers and unbelievers. That's what our gifts are for. And again, they come from, as Paul is reminding again and again, the same Lord, the same Lord. Two Christians with the same gift may be led of God to use that gift differently. One with the gift of teaching may be called to teach children, while another equipped may be equipped to speak to large crowds. Someone with the gift of serving, and, and interestingly enough, I guess kind of deviating a little bit, but those two ministries of the gift are radically different, and one may not be able to do the other. Just because you can speak to adults in large crowds you may not be equipped to teach children. And you need to know that. So that you, especially if you're in a position of responsibility, you serve those children by giving them the very best teacher they can have. And if it ain't you, step down. Put somebody else in front of you. Someone with the gift of serving may be specially equipped with their gift in conjunction with their talents to minister to the church through um, electronics or computers, while another prefers physical labor, such as cleaning and actual hands-on serving. Both are necessary and beloved and are a blessing to the church. All of these mentioned get their gift from the very same Lord, the Lord of all. The gifts were not given to be exercised in private. They weren't given to you. You all have a gift of the Holy Spirit or gifts. And they were not given to you to be exercised for your own benefit in private. <laughs> if you have been given the gift of discernment, use it to edify the church and not just yourself. If you have been given the gift of teaching and you write things for yourself, you're actually prostituting your gift. Use it in service to others so that they can be blessed. Now, your gifts and your talents will be a mixture that will come out of your life and if, as it's led by the Holy Spirit and empowered by God, it will be for the service of others and for the giving to others. And so you need to use it, again, in service to others so that they can be blessed. If you're not using your gift today in service to others, people are missing a blessing. 
Your brothers and sisters are missing a blessing. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one of you has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So gifts were given not just for hoarding and for, or for being famous or, or well-liked or any of those things. They were given for service. And, and it's, it's unfortunate that in many areas and aspects of our life, especially in public service today, that word is no longer properly understood. It's a different aspect of service, but it's still service. People who are called public servants don't get it anymore. They don't realize that they're supposed to be, that their, their elevation to a position of responsibility simply makes them able to serve more people at one time than they could before. That's the idea behind the gifts. Any comments or questions about chapter, about verse 5? So verse 6, there are varieties of effects, effects, happenings, results. But the same God who works all things in all persons. The effects, effects of our gifts in use, that is the working out of the gifts intended effects on others, depends wholly, again, upon God. Romans 12.3, for through the grace given to me, I say everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allocated to each a measure of faith. It is God who acts both to will and to work for his good pleasure in the way that you minister your gift to others. And he is at work or intends to be at work in every believer. All of us have a gift and we are perfectly gifted and suited for the work that God will in, and intends to call us to. If we are not using our gifts, then whatever work God intended for us to do will not get done. Now, he's sovereign, and we could go into a big dissertation about the sovereignty of God, but the fact is, right here on earth, you've been given a, a gift, and with that gift comes responsibility, and he intends for you to use it in doing the works that he prepared for you before the foundation of the world. There's no one else who can do it, he has sovereignly decreed that not only are we to be included in the kingdom of God, we are to be at work in the kingdom of God and in the world, in the church. There are to be no pew sitters in the church. All of us must be busy about the work God has called us to. For a time, it may very well be that the entire work of, that your entire work will be in the rearing of a family. But during that rearing, there are still many things that you could be called to do by the Lord. Christians should be some of the busiest people around using their gifts, ministering to others, working the works that God intended for them from the foundation of the universe, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Remembering, of course, that it is not our works that bring us to salvation, but salvation brings us to work or puts us to work. And delightedly so. And, and so if you're, if you're having a struggle concerning your gift, we're going to get into that. Uh, it's not going to happen today. But uh, we're going to talk about the gifts. And, and, and uh, there's no, I don't have a, a check sheet that you can check off. I'm of the opinion that according to the scripture, you need to be busy about the work of God. And your gifts will be revealed to you as you work. Uh, but that's one aspect of it. And we'll get into more of that as time goes on. Any comments or questions about verse 6? So now in verse 7, it says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the gifts were given by God in order to manifest the Spirit. They're not about us. They're, again, they're not about me and not about you. They're about the, the praise and the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were given to glorify the Father and to glorify the Son as well. 
They were not given to be hidden under a rock. God intended for his work to be evident in the lives of his children. These gifts were given for the, the scripture says, the common good. This word comes from two Greek words, which means, uh, which means a bringing together. The gifts were and are for fostering and building unity, as well as manifesting the diversity of the God of the universe, a proper place for the word diversity. When we exercise our spiritual gift under the control of the Holy Spirit so that it is manifested biblically, it blesses and benefits the body of Christ every time. And again, Paul stresses that each one, that is every single believer in the world, has been given a special gift to manifest and praise the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It was given to them to bless the church and to propagate the gospel in the world. Now, we're going to get, I'm going to start into one of the controversies, and I don't think we'll get through it all today. I wasn't prepared to finish it all today. Um, but this controversy will be peppered throughout the next, these three chapters, 12, 13, and 14. How many of you have heard of the continuation cessation controversy? The words sound negative. They sound offensive to some degree. So there are those who believe that there are some gifts that have ceased. I happen to be one of those. There are specific manifestations of the Spirit that are attendant upon specific works of God that are in use for that work, and then when they're done, those gifts are no longer in evidence. But the word that is used to describe people like me, and I actually believed this before I knew the word. <laughs> it's like I guess I was, I was a Reformed before I knew that I'd been Reformed. But... Uh, <clears throat> The word cessationist is negative. Do I believe that God can perform a miracle today? You bet. Can he heal someone? Instantaneously, if he wants. Could he cause someone to speak in a language that would bring the gospel to someone who didn't know that language? He didn't know the language? You bet. Could that happen? Could he bridge the gap in any way by a miraculous act? Of course he can. The Father is the God of the universe. And anyone who says that he can't do something doesn't know what they're talking about. The only, well, I guess he can't do certain things. He can't lie. He can't misrepresent himself. He won't contradict scripture. But when it comes to physical things, he can't, he, there's nothing he can't do. So one of the more interesting controversies is the concept of continuation or cessation of the sign gifts. It's important to note, as I said first, that the Holy Spirit continues to work in the world today. Every time he regenerates a sinner, that is a miracle, a miracle of the highest order. God can heal. God moves as he wishes and is not constrained. He is not held back by our false beliefs or anything that might, we might think can hold him. The question is, are there certain times in history when we can see that God supernaturally empowered humans to do supernatural and miraculous things? A careful study of Scripture reveals that there were three periods of time in which God allowed humans to do things that normally only He would do. And in the, Old, in the New Testament, God gave both permanent gifts which edify the church throughout the church age and temporary gifts which were signs to confirm the Word of God and to confirm that those He had sent were bringing that Word and founding the church. The first time that these gifts were evident was the exodus of Israel from Egypt through the life of Joshua. It's about a 65-year period, a period of about, that, about 65 years. During that time, Moses and Joshua, energized by the Holy Spirit, did marvels and wonders. Moses, a meek man with a proper sense of inability, he was called the meekest man alive, he was humble, was used by God in miraculous ways. He was reluctant and afraid because he knew his own limitations, and God not only had to enable him, but in some cases he had to prod him. 
Exodus 6, 28 through 30. Now it came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. But Moses said before the Lord, behold, I am unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? Exodus 7, 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh, that he let the sons of Israel go out of his hand, out of his land, excuse me. Prior to this confrontation with Pharaoh, Moses had already been charged to speak to the people of Israel on God's behalf, and he was even reluctant to do that. God had to convince him, as it were, that Jehovah could empower a human to, suit, to do and say things that were beyond human ability. Exodus 4, 15 and 16, he says to Moses, You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, he, will, he shall speak for you to the people, and he will be as a mouth for you, and you will be as God to him. Thus, this putting the words into someone's mouth is the very definition of prophecy and inspiration. And so along with the parting of the Red Sea, the plagues, and all the other wonders that Moses performed, we see that for about um, a period of 65 years, God allowed two men great latitude in performing wonders for His glory and to confirm what He was doing with and to Israel. The purpose of allowing Moses and Joshua to perform these miracles was to validate what God was doing through them. It was to confirm that Moses was actually God's prophet and it was to be, and he was to be heard and obeyed. A couple of observations about Moses and the prophets. God gives the criteria, by the way, for a prophet in Deuteronomy chapter 13. And these criteria do not fit what seems to pass for a modern prophet. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments and listen to his voice, serve him and cling to him. But the prophet, or that dreamer of dreams, shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord. He counseled something that violated what God had said before. He counseled something that violated Scripture. He's not a true prophet of God. In the Old Testament economy, not today, but in the Old Testament economy, he was to be put to death. He has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. Remember the criteria. The prophet of God is 100% accurate. If there's the least bit of deviation from existing scripture in the prophet's message, it is a false message. If the prophet makes a prediction that does not come true, this perfectly validates that the person never was a prophet in the first place. They are, were and are a liar and a blasphemer. The Jehovah's Witnesses predicted again and again the end of the world. Did you know Jesus lives in a tenement apartment section of Brooklyn, New York? He moved there in 1975. I wonder if he's a good, I wonder if he's a good landlord. I, I speak, it sounds silly, but there are predictions like that made regularly by unbiblical people. 
And uh, so the witnesses actually got out of the prophet business because they were wrong so many times. This is a good thing if you're going to, you know, eventually, eventually even the, the choir is going to catch on. So, and they did. That type of prophetic utterance, when it violates scripture and when it doesn't come true, is a perfect example of a false prophet. The second period of time that God supernaturally empowered men to perform what he normally did was the time of Elisha, Elijah and Elisha between 860 B.C. and 795 B.C. It was about another period of 65 years. There's nothing significant about the 65. It's just what it happened to be. During the time which Elijah performed the amazing miracle of calling down fire on the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel in 1 King 18, 36 and 37. At the time, listen to this, at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. The purpose of that miracle was to validate Elijah as a prophet and to prove that God was working in, the lives of, uh, in his life and for Israel. The third period of miracles, and there were other miracles as well. I didn't want to get into detail on them. But it lasted for a period of about 65 years, and then it ceased. Again, the express purpose was to validate. The Lord Jesus worked more miracles. There was a third period in the New Testament, from the onset of the ministry of the Lord until the death of the Apostle John, which lasted about 70 years. The Lord Jesus worked more miracles than anyone prior to him and any or anyone after. His miracles were strictly to validate his ministry and to confirm that he spoke the words of God. John 5, 36. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John, speaking of the Baptist. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. They validate that I have been sent by the Father. That's what Jesus said. When the people saw the miracles he performed, they were convinced, and indeed this was the purpose of the miracles. John 6, 14. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, and they said, this is truly the prophet which is, who is to come into the world. John 7, 31. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? <coughs> Matthew eleven three through 5. And said to him, are you, these people were asking Jesus on behalf of John, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. John, and, and so that was the sign to John the Baptist that the prophet, that the Messiah had come the miracles that he was performing. John 10, 24 through 25. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them and said, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These testify of me. What were the works for? They were to testify that he was sent in the Father's name. John 10, 38 through 30, 37 through 38. I, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. 
The miracles Jesus performed were not primarily a tool of evangelism, but were rather for authentication of his ministry and a demonstration that he was who he claimed to be. Speaking of that, and I didn't put this down, but uh, when was it another Lazarus went to, to the bosom of Abraham? And uh, no, it was Abraham. Okay, I'm going to get this Luke mixed up. But at any rate, rich man died. And he said to Abraham, send, send someone to my brothers to tell them about this. And Abraham said, what did Abraham say? Okay, we'll send him a sign. No, he said, what did he say? He said, they have the prophets. They have the law and the prophets. They have the word of God. If they won't believe that, they will not believe even if someone comes back from the dead. So the signs weren't essentially for evangelism, although I suppose they could result in that, but that was not the purpose. The purpose was to authenticate the prophet or the person or the ministry as that coming from God and founding the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. So... When Peter preached his great sermon in Jerusalem, this was one of the themes. He reminded the crowd that Jesus performed great wonders in their present, and this, in fact, attested to them that he was from God. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. Not only did Jesus perform miracles himself, but he gave the power to the apostles as well. Acts chapter 14, verse 3. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of grace, of His grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hand. Jesus granted the apostle the ability to do signs and wonders so that they would know, people would know, the apostles came from God. Acts, their, their message came from God. Acts chapter 19, 11 and 12. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Romans 15, 18 and 19. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And then Hebrews 2, 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed by those of us who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. The power to perform these signs and wonders was explicitly to confirm that the apostles were speaking the words of God and doing the work of God. Miracles are not found hither, thither in the scriptures. Of course, God can work a miracle anytime, anytime he wants, but the sign gifts such as miracles as, were, as given to men to perform clearly happened only three specific times in biblical history. One commentator put it this way, miracles do not happen Excuse me, miracles do not appear on the pages of Scripture vagrantly, here and there, elsewhere, indifferently, without assignable reason. They belong to revelation periods and appear only when God is speaking to His people through, the, through accredited messengers, declaring His gracious purposes. Their abundant display in the apostolic church is the mark of the richness of the apostolic age in revelation. And when this revelation period closed, the period of miracle working had passed by also as a mere matter of course. When this revelation period closed, the period, the miracle working had passed by also as a mere matter of course. I think I put something in there twice because it was important. And so, while it is evident that the scripture 
anticipates and teaches that miracles are not the normative method of dealing of God dealing in humanity. They are reserved other than individual miracles performed by the sovereign God of the universe at his choice for particular periods of time throughout history to validate his message and his messengers. Concomitant to the ending of miracles is the ceasing of the gift of apostleship. And we're going to talk about all the, the sign gifts, but I'm not going to get to all of them today uh, in detail. It's just not time. Did you know that the apostleship was a gift? It was one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It was a gift to us. It was a gift to the church, and we'll see that. Not all the gifts that the apostle gave to the church were offices, but all of the offices that he gave were, church, were gifts. In Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle notes that Christ gave gifts to men, and then he ascended, and it says again that he gave gifts to men. Then down in verse 11, the gifts are listed, and in this particular case, those listed gifts are positions of offices, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So the gifts that he gave included offices. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. But to each one of us, grace is given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he had also descended into the lower parts of earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And what are the gifts? He gave some apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. In order to be, up, in order to be an apostle, let's look at the qualifications for an apostle. In order to be an apostle, you had to fulfill three things. Number one, you had to be a witness in person of the resurrected Lord. Acts 1, 21 and 22, when they were, when they were refilling the office that Judas had so quickly vacated. Therefore... And they're looking at them, looking for a replacement. It is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out on us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They needed to be a follower, a disciple, and have witnessed his resurrection. Number two, you had to have been personally appointed by the Lord. Acts 1-2, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Number three, you had to be able to work miracles. Matthew chapter 10, 1-4, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the name of the 12 apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, and Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Now it is pretty much accepted church doctrine that there were 12 apostles with Paul as well. Of course, the apostles, after the resurrection, chose a replacement. Uh, uh, they chose a replacement for Judas to bring the number back to 12. Each one of these men met the three qualifications just mentioned. Further, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, when he was present in Corinth, he himself worked in a manner that identified him as an apostle. Remember when we went through first, uh, Colossians and when we went through Galatians, Paul carefully reminds those people in those churches, that he was an apostle and he got his orders directly from Jesus. He didn't go to Peter and the other apostles to get orders secondhand. He was trained, he was sent out by Jesus Christ himself. So it's also, so he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, 
the signs of a true apostle were, were, were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. So when Paul was among the Corinthians, he worked signs and wonders among them. It's also accepted teaching that after the death of John, there were no more apostles other than in aberrant sects and cults who still think that the gift of apostleship is continued. There is no definitive scripture that stipulates that the gift of apostleship has ceased. There is simply the fact that the 12 plus Paul were known to have performed the signs of apostleship and fulfilled the three qualifications. Numerous times we may see other uh, New Testament notables such as Barnabas, Epaphroditus, Andronicus, and Junius, and James, the Lord's brother, uh, called, in the lower sense, apostles. In the sense that Barnabas, Titus, and others are apostles, so are we. Oh, he's teaching a weird doctrine. No. The word apostle, just at its base, means a messenger. Are we not messengers of the Lord Jesus Christ? You can nod your head. It's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I know they can't see on the, on the tape, but, but go ahead and nod your head. Yes, we are messengers. And in that sense, with a, if you will, with a small a, we are apostles. But that is all. There's no definitive scripture that de defines the ending of the time. But we were not tasked. We were not, let me, let me get back here. But in the sense of the office's apostle, as contemplated by the New Testament church, Barnabas, Epaphroditus, and we were not sent out specifically and personally by the Lord Jesus Christ. We were not tasked with the founding of the church in the specific manner that those twelve and Paul were. And so neither are we called, as Paul was called, an apostle of Jesus Christ in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. None of us were appointed according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. And no one after John died in the late part of the 90s, was appointed an apostle. No one. There are no apostles today. Each of the 12 and Paul were directly taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. They were commissioned by him and sent out by him. This is a specific office that has ceased. The office of apostle as a gift, as mentioned earlier, and it is one of the gifts that has ceased, noting this, that the gift of apostleship has ceased, has ceased, and it being the one most associated with miracles, we see that the ending of certain gifts is not unusual. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul explains in succinct manner salvation and the forming of his church. He reminds the Ephesians, and by, dis, by direct connotation, us, that it is by grace that all have been saved and that even the faith that is exercised by grace to achieve salvation is a gift from God. We are His workmanship. We were formerly dead in our trespasses and separate from Christ. We had no hope. We had no hope, but having been far off, formally, we are now brought near by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He Himself is our peace. He has reconciled us to God by the cross, all of the Galatians were thus reconciled as Paul was explaining to them in that great epistle. And then in verse 20, he states that the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, us, the Ephesians at the time, were once strangers and aliens, who, they who are the church. That church was built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Those foundational stones, as it were called, as they were, ended with the death of John the Apostle. Each and every believer has been built into the church as an individual stone on top of the foundation stones. 
These two separate groups, the apostles and the prophets, were part of the finished foundation upon which the church could be built. Ephesians 2 makes it clear that the foundational work of the apostles and the prophets was completed, and in fact, as the apostles were writing the books of the New Testament, was being completed. Apostleship has ceased. Prophetic utterances have ceased. New scripture is not happening, or as I said last week, if it is, then we need to find these people who are prophesying in the Lord's name and giving us new scripture, and we need to begin writing it down and cataloging it and and parsing it and looking at what they really mean and how that it applies, etc., etc. No one, no one in the Christian church advocates that because it's 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 foolish. Prophetic utterances have ceased. New scripture is not happening. The canon is closed, and the giving forth of new revelation has ceased. The pseudo gifts that we have today bear no resemblance to the originals. In Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit gave those gathered together on Pentecost the ability to speak in other tongues. Those tongues were actual languages, which the multitude around them were going, what, what gives? These are unlearned Galileans, and I'm hearing this message in my language. If there was someone in here from India, and he was hearing what I was saying in Hindu, isn't that the language of, where's Josh when you need him? Is that the language? Hindi? Hindi. If they were hearing it, that would be a biblical tongue, if you will. Uh, we'll get into all of the other aspects of that, but that's what was happening. So, <laughs> this is what the Word of God records. The other necessary component for this miraculous gift at the founding of the church was the need for an interpreter. Today, somehow the falsification of the gift of tongues includes the idea that it is a private prayer language. This is nowhere indicated in any of Scripture. Further, when one of the New Testament prophets spoke and his words were included in the text of the New Testament, they were included in the same way that the Old Testament prophets were included in the canon of the Old Testament. Acts chapter 21, uh, verse 10 and 11, when the prophet Agabus speaks. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. The same as the language in the Old Testament, thus saith the Lord. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles, quote, unquote. Agabus spoke authoritatively, and it was recorded the same as it was for Moses. This has ceased. True prophets do not say, I think this is what the Lord is saying. Or, according to my best ability, this is probably what God wants to say. That's not a true prophet. Agabus said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. Just as an Old Testament prophet said, thus saith the Lord. Remember, the one of the tests of a prophet that was what he, if what he said did not come to pass, he was a false prophet and he was put to death under the Old Testament law. Agabus's prophecy came true. One other thing, considering the gift of healing, and this is about as far as we'll get today. Uh, when healing was performed by one of the apostles at the founding of the church, it was a genuine healing. People lame from birth walked. Lepers lost their disease. Children were raised from death. Blind people saw. Dumb people talked. Lazarus was raised from the dead by the Lord after being dead four days in the tomb. Peter, Paul, Philip, and the other apostles healed the lame, the truly lame, the paralyzed. They raised people from the dead. This is not happening today. We are not having people empty out the corridors of hospitals like they could, like these men could have done. Finally, 
1 Corinthians, written in 55 or 56 AD, and the Chronicles and the book of Acts of, of the happenings earlier on in the foundation of the church are the only place we see these things happening. Pete, Paul wrote nine more letters after 1 Corinthians and never mentioned the gifts of tongues again. The pastoral epistles that Paul wrote to Timothy instructing him in the manner of shepherding a flock do not mention any of these considerations. In Hebrews chapter 1, we have the first revelatory period spoken of by the person who wrote the book of Hebrews in the prophets of the Old Testament followed by the second revelatory period which verse 2 says specifically, in these last days God has spoken to us in His Son. Or actually in the text it says, in Son. This second period, the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, is further confirmed in chapter 2 of Hebrews, and we are admonished to pay close attention. The writer of Hebrews asked the question, how shall we escape if we ne neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. And then verse 4, the writer explains that God also bore witness by various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit in the time of the apostles. Hebrews, let's read that. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. And we have drifted away in many respects. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. The writer of the book of Hebrews experienced and witnessed all of this foundational work by the apostles. And this is what he was writing about. That's what he was writing about. The sign gifts, the miraculous gifts, miraculous gifts were already declining. The foundation was sure. God confirmed it through the signs and wonders of the apostle. And when that was done, when that necessary work was done, so were those miraculous gifts as they were in the first and second time when they happened in history. Finally, actually, yes, yeah, I said finally here. Actually, really, finally. The testimony of the church after the apostolic age is uniformly that the, the gifts had ceased. Now, we don't, we don't ascribe to the church fathers after the revelatory period the weight that we give to Scripture. But nevertheless, it is instructive in our history, in, in studying history. Chrysostom said the whole place, speaking about 1 Corinthians 12, this is in the 300s, uh, and the gifts there is very obscure, but the obscurity is produced by our ignorance of the fact referred to and by their cessation being as such then used to occur but now no longer take place. Augustine, writing in the late 300s, early 400s, said, In the earliest times, the Holy Spirit fell down upon them that believed, and they spoke with tongues which they had not learned, as the Spirit gave them utterance. That thing was done for a sign, and it has passed away. Fast forward to the Reformation. Martin Luther writes, This visible outpouring of the Holy Spirit was necessary to the establishment of the early church, as were also the miracles that accompanied the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Once the church had been established and properly advertised by these miracles, the visible appearance of the Holy Ghost ceased. John Calvin, The gift of healing, like the rest of the miracles which the Lord willed to be brought forth for a time, has vanished away in order to make the preaching of the gospel marvelous forever. Let me reiterate, can God heal today? Of course He can. That is not what this is teaching. Jonathan Edwards writes this, Of the extraordinary gifts, they were given in order to the founding and establishing of the church in the world. But since the canon of the scriptures has been completed and the Christian church fully founded and established, these extraordinary gifts have ceased. Charles Spurgeon said, Those earlier miraculous gifts have departed from us. 
B.B. Warfield writes, these gifts were distinctly the authentication of the apostles. They were part of the credentials of the apostles as the authoritative agents of God in founding the church. Their function had thus confirmed to them, confirmed them to distinctively the apost apostolic church. Okay, let me reread that. Their function thus confirmed them to distinctively the apostolic church, and they necessarily passed away with it. The miraculous working, which is but which is but the sign of God's revealing power, cannot be expected to continue, and in point of fact, does not continue after the revelation of which it is the accompaniment had been completed. The canon was closed. The scripture was done. The necessary con confirming signs and wonders were no longer needed. So I want to con conclude this section before we go into, next week we'll start into verse 5, or excuse me, verse 7, or wherever we're at. I, got, I lost my place. Verse 8. We'll go into verse 8. But I want to conclude this section with something that we should always be very aware of. We have Scripture, and Scripture is sufficient. Second Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 1 Peter 1, 16-21 For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. When, for when he received honor and glory from the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves, we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first that no prophecy of the Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. They did it in those three periods. And it is done. It is finished, the Lord Jesus Christ said on the cross. And it is truly finished. Later when we get into 1 Corinthians 14, we will further discuss some of the implications of these, these sign gifts, the miraculous gifts. But today I wanted to give something of an introduction uh, as much as possible. Now we're over time. Are there any questions? There will be, I'm sure. And that'll be fine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the scripture. Thank you for the firm, sure word of God that gives us hope. It gives us uh, anticipation of you coming. It gives us the definitions that we need to have of love and faith and all of those things by which we can honor you and serve one another. Help us to be reminded every day that those gifts that you have bestowed upon us by the manifestation of your Spirit are for the serving and the blessing of our brothers and sisters in Christ and then for the world at large. Help us to learn to use them in a manner that glorifies you and that we might decrease so that you might increase. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.